The Ordinary Discussion Podcast. The job of a priest at the end of the day, if you have done anything other than bring that person closer to Christ, you failed. Like if you have not brought the person closer to Christ at the end of your ministry, you failed. Like I don't care if you're their best friend. I don't care if uh, that person is like this priest has done so many great works in the valley or whatever. If they have not brought people closer to Christ, that's their only job. Let's do this. Welcome to Ordinary Discussions Podcast. Uh, we're so happy you tuned in. We have an uh, awesome guest today, uh, DK, Daniel Kalen. You Am got it. That right? Yeah. And I just know him as DK, so I, I, I'm just learning his, his, how to pronounce his last name. So Daniel Kalen is with us, and we are super excited about this conversation. I think you guys are going to love it. Uh, we'll dig in here in a minute. But before we do, I just want to thank everyone for listening and uh, taking time to um, and to listen to our podcast, I would ask you, and uh, if you would so kindly, uh, subscribe, uh, whatever you're listening on, if it's a um, podcast platform or if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, subscribe there so that you uh, get our content. And um, we'd also ask that you would rate it or give us a thumbs up if it's on um, YouTube and and uh, share it with your friends. We want to get the word out, and I think uh, what we talk about is relevant to uh, the Christian faith, and I think we do it in a very ordinary way, and that's uh, very palatable and easy for the, the average person to, uh, to hear and to be encouraged. So um, once again, thanks so much. DK, yeah. welcome. Hit the like button down below, as they always there you, say. There you right? go. Is that how you say it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're younger than me, so you probably got it figured out. Yeah, although it's funny. In seminary, uh, you give up technology. I mean, there is no social media or anything like that. So when I went on this leave of absence and came up here, I totally, totally was the token millennial. And they were like, you understand technology better than me. Let's have you do the live streaming and all that fun stuff. And I'm like, no, I... I don't think you know what we do in seminary. Yeah, it's been a couple of years. Yeah. yeah, it's been a couple of years for sure. Well, well, without giving too much away too soon, DK is uh, from Salida. How do you say it? Sedalia. Sedalia. There is a Salida. Isn't there it? is a Salida. Yeah, Most yeah. people get either of the two confused, yeah, and I, I've yeah. sort of just given up on that I one. just did. Yeah. Uh, Sedalia, Colorado. Is that outside of Castle Rock? Yeah. If you go up uh, north on Santa Fe, US 85, it's just a little small town, and uh, Sacred Heart Retreat Center's out that way. But for the most part, I just say north of Castle Rock, south of Highlands Ranch. Okay, great. So, so for those of you not in Colorado, it's uh, south of Denver. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I have friends who who are like, you live in Denver, and I'm like, well, it's a little more rural than that, but sure, whatever. Yeah, okay, like 45, 45 minutes from there. Thirty. Well, depends on the traffic. Yeah, yeah. thirty-five, forty-five. Yeah, but now Daniel lives here in uh, the Vale, Colorado area, and that's how I got to know him. Uh, he actually coached my son in middle school football, and uh, my son came back with this crazy story, and I told him it was wrong, and there's no way that happened, and sure enough, I talked to DK, and it did happen. So that's why we're having this podcast, because uh, DK has quite a story that, that we're going to get into here in a minute. But before that, uh, he, he attended uh, Denver University, and uh, after that, he went straight into seminary, uh, and seminary for... Uh, to be a Catholic priest, right? You got it. Because yep. there's different types of seminary, right? I mean, you could be a seminary, you could go to seminary to be a Baptist pastor, right? Yep. So okay, but you're, you're, you're the Catholic route. You got it. There's different seminaries. Um, there's different seminaries within the Catholic Church. You can go to be like a religious priest, which is part of an order. Um, and they do, they take, take a little more solemn vows, whereas... Uh, you can be a priest for a diocese, and then you can be a pastor and go to seminary. There's lots of ways to go to seminary these days. Yeah, you lost me with half those words. I know. <laughs> I, we'll just say you were on the path to be a priest. Um, <clears throat> but there's a there's a path that you're following, and, and it's brought you here to the Vail, Colorado area, where you're now development director at St. Clara CC School, uh, which is where my son uh, played football and how we ran into DK. 
Um, DK, I wish we had done better on the football side of things. Well, it was rough. It was. I think we had the best athletes, but we just weren't putting it together. So. No, no. I think that's called coaching. Not joking. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. You guys did an excellent job. You did what, what mattered most. You invested in my son in a great way, so I appreciate that. Um, and DK was investing in the youth and the next generation. He's 26 years old. He's a young man. Yes, sir. And uh, it's great to be around a young guy that loves the Lord like he does and is as passionate as he is. So, DK, what, where are you at currently in your process? So we, we talked about DU, the whole nine yards moving here. So, so tell us where you're at right now. Okay, so right now I am on a formal leave of absence from the seminary. That essentially is like, you know, you are not, like officially I'm not a seminarian. That means I can, it, for people who don't know, Catholic priests uh, are supposed, <laughs> should be celibate. And uh, there are a few exceptions if they're like, Byzantine or Eastern Church, but for the most part, you live a celibate lifestyle, and the whole time you're in seminary, it's sort of like dating. That's the way they compare it to. You are dating the church. The church is trying to figure out whether you want to be, they want you, and you are trying to figure out whether this is your uh, state of life, your vocation. I mean, I, I always say we're all called to a vocation of holiness, we're all called to be holy, but we all have states of life to do that through. And whether that's being single, being married, um, being religious, so a religious path, you could be a brother or a monk up in some monastery. That is not for me. I know that much for sure. Figured that out over seminary. But um, right now I'm on a leave of absence. I come up and to the mountains and help out and just discern and try to figure out what's next, you know? Yeah. So just a little teaser. Um, what we're going to talk about with DK is his experience in the poverty immersion during his um, seminary training. Am I saying that right? Yep. Formation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so um, teaser, he got dropped off in the middle of Kansas City with $5 and a bus ticket back and he had to live as a homeless person. So that is what this podcast is primarily going to be about. But I want to talk about the whole process, where he's at today, and then we'll dive into that. But I just wanted to make sure uh, I tease that because it's going to be – I can't wait. I've talked to several people about this, and they're like, oh, man, it's going to be a great podcast. I'm like, yeah, it's going to be great. Um, so you you were on the path, uh, and then you kind of said, i got to pump the brakes a little bit. I'm not I'm not 100% sure where I'm supposed to be. Is that, is that when I'm hearing that right? For sure. I mean, so the – there's, you know, to, formation for a priest can take eight to 10 years, depending on where you're coming from, your background. If you have a college degree, like I did, I had a triple major in philosophy and religious studies. Uh, it'll take more around five to 10 years on top, or five to 10 years, five to six years on top of that. It feels like 10 years sometimes, but, <laughs> um, you know, the five years, a lot of that one year is called a spirituality year, and that's a year where it is super intensely focused on discernment, um, on your prayer life, on you know your relationship with God. The church, you do take classes, but they're not grading you. Uh, the next four years are like the graduate portion of the studies. So since I already had the... Wait, so they don't grade you? Uh, I mean, once you get to the graduate Part oh, of it, say, yeah. I, I would be a great priest if I didn't have to get graded. Yeah, I wish. Uh, I wish they. I, me too, right? I. I mean, you got to do Latin, Greek, Hebrew, and okay. I'm like, God I'm, bless me, right? I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's what I said too. I, I need. Yeah. To, I need some time off. But um, no, the first year you're just. It's a lot focused on your prayer life, what your relationship with God is. It's intense. You go through a five day silent retreat, a three day silent retreat, and at to cap it all off, you do a 30-day silent retreat, and you do what we call the Exercises of St. Ignatius. And this is a 500-year program that St. Ignatius developed to help people discern, and it works pretty well. <laughs> so this is called the Spirituality Year? All of that and the Poverty Immersion is within that Spirituality within, Year. Okay. And you said, I think you told me before, you were with like 20 to 24 men during this process. Correct. Yeah. It's uh, depending on the class. I mean, some years they have 20. My class had 24. I think the year after me, they had 30. So they're doing pretty well. But like what people don't realize is uh, because in the Catholic Church, we're always talking about a crisis of vocations. Where are the priests? Where? Well, you go through that Spirituality Year. And uh, 
nearly 50% of the people. It's like, it's sort of like boot camp for the Catholic Church. In, they in weed a you out, huh? Yeah, they, we, they, you know, they weed you out. And we always say, like, that's good. If you're called to marriage, like, go and do that. We need good fathers. If I could have every man in the world go through a spirituality year, I think, I mean, let's not even talk about Christianity. Let's just talk about every man. That would be great if we could get every Christian, if we could get every Catholic, if, if I could get half the men in the world, it would be, it would make people, it would open their eyes up to our world, their relationship with God, who they are and who they are in relationship with God. So, so why do you say that? I mean, what, what, what happens that, that causes that? Well, it's, it's a year where you just, it's sort of hard to describe. I'm trying to put it into words, uh, a year of it. Um, I mean, you're praying every morning. You wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning. You do a holy hour to start your day off um, before the Lord in, in our chapel. Um, we do morning prayer. We do midday prayer. There's evening prayer. There's a mass, tons of prayer. You have an, an apostolic site, so you go... Mine was Mount St. Vincent down in Denver. That's a, it's like a group home for kids who are um, severely mentally ill or have been abused. And, I mean, my job was just to go and play and hopefully make them smile. I would go and do football and do all sorts of ridiculous things. And, I mean, you can surely see the face of Christ in those kids without a doubt. Um, but you're doing things like that. You're uh, every day you're serving the greater seminary. So we have to clean the dishes and all of the fun chores, mm -hmm. clean the bathrooms, everything like that. They save a little bit of money on that, that <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah. um, help with the cooking and things. But uh, I just think that when people, you know, they cut out the crap, you cut out the social media, you cut out, I mean, no technology for men in this day and age. That is so. It was the entire year no technology. No and technology. What, by techno you mean no TV, no computers, no phone. Nothing. 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 Tell nothing. me about that. Was that? It had to be great. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, the it allows you to enter into a level in, of intimacy with the Lord, with the people around you, with yourself. That is probably a little uncomfortable at times. At least it was to me as a person who is used to pulling out your phone whenever you want to. You're, you, you know, the uncomfort levels goes up, up. You can pull up a, an immediate escape. Uh, that's the temptation. There's certainly a lot of men who that's also a healing process for them, uh, whether it's chastity and all that. That is a huge cleaning, like yeah. just getting rid of that. Um, there's no internet. There's no phones. If you have a phone, you're breaking the rules. So, like, uh, you know, why are you doing that? It just... It, it puts a lot in front of you. And then you also realize how consumeristic our society can be. We consume through media. We also go on a, um, what did they call it? We go on a fast of shopping and everything. So you don't go out and buy stuff that year. You are very, um, in a sense, isolated. But it's in isolation that I think we can go and experience the Lord very powerfully. So you're not consuming of any, you're no technology con, con, consuming, but you're also not consuming of any product. Nope. Meaning you're, you're not buying new jeans. You're not buying a new shirt. No. Nope. So what are you wearing? <laughs> we wear clerics. So at the, at the start, um, if you've ever seen maybe on the Simpsons, the Catholic priest, he's always <laughs> wearing that, uh, that black yeah. uniform with that little white collar. It's funny you said the Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I always go yeah, to when yeah. I, I mean, I, I go to my childhood and my experiences with priests, but I'm like, most people know the Simpsons and think about that. That Ned Flander, like, right? And yep. That, yeah, the crazy, crazy Protestant. Father Brown or, yeah, so you wear that most of the time. Um, when you're doing like hardcore work, uh, you put on jeans or some old clothes that you have. I mean, yeah. essentially what I'm wearing now. Um, but you're certainly not walking around in uh, Gucci and Gabbana or yeah, whatever yeah, it is, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> well, that's fascinating. So we did a podcast. Um, I don't know how many episodes it was. Uh, if you're interested in this topic, you should go back and listen to it. It's uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. So there's a book by Mark Comer. Uh, it, the title is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And uh, it talks all about what you're talking about. And, that, and, and I love what you said. You said that year of spirituality – 
in that time of pulling away from technology and consumerism allowed you to grow into intimacy, not only with yourself, but with the Lord in a way that you never have before. And that's really the, the premise of the book from John Comer is that we are so distracted. We are so hurried in this life. We are so, um, it, yeah. the need for something to distract constantly that we can't hear the voice of God because, because we've, we've drowned it out. And, and really, I think it's, an amazing book for anybody in ordinary men or anybody even listening uh, that wants to really analyze their life in a new way. Uh, it's amazing. And so go listen to the podcast, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's probably five or six podcasts to go, but I think it's really good. But a lot of what he talks about is eliminating technology and the draw of technology in your life. Not completely in the sense that you did because these people are, you know, not going through a seminary process but just in everyday life. And then the one thing he talks about, which I want to start doing, so I'd really like to hear about this, is a day of solitude, at least once a month, a day of solitude. So I looked into it. There's actually some monasteries and things in Colorado. There's one out by by Aspen. There's one near Boulder. Maybe you spent time there. But you can actually pay and go there for a day and just have a day of solitude. But he... He, he's a huge advocate of that. And so tell me what you learned through these solitude periods. So you did what, a one day, a three day, what was it again? Three day, five day, um, eight day, and then you a uh, 30 day to cap it off. So. And when you say a day of solitude, you did three days, eight days, 30, uh, like a hundred percent by yourself. Silence the entire time, except when you are in mass. So that's, that's like our prayer service for Catholics. We go to mass and you can obviously respond to like the promptings, like, when we say the Our Father, you will say the Our Father, um, and you can listen, and then you get one hour of spiritual direction a day. So that's with, uh, in seminary, you have a spiritual director, and he is typically a priest uh, uh, who's, you know, wisened in the ways, as they would say, like the Obi-Wan Kenobi, I guess you could go with that. And that spiritual director meets with you every two weeks, and then when you go on, these intensive retreats, it's every day because you are praying five hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, you are doing what they call Ignatian meditation, where it's very visualization based. Men are very visual. I'm a firm believer in that. And so you are, they give you gospel passages and you are essentially reading that gospel passage uh, over and over again and visualizing yourself in that gospel passage. And so, you know, I am visualizing myself watching Peter step off the boat. I am visualizing myself trying to follow Peter and step off the boat. But guess what? I'm sinking. You know, why am I sinking? And then whatever the imagine, wherever the imagination takes you after that, I mean, all of, all of the Catholic teaching from St. Ignatius is the Lord uses that. That's a form of prayer. That's uh, I always argue with people. In religious studies, I got a chance to study Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, all, a lot of the Eastern r- rituals and uh, rites, and people say we don't have a spirituality as, as Christianity. Like, we can't do the spiritual thing. And I'm like, that's not true. We have a rich tradition of spirituality, and it doesn't even have to be Catholic. You can go to the Eastern Church. They have beautiful spirituality and that meditation, you don't have to go to yoga class to get your spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. Just look back into the analogs of the greater church and pick your saint. It, it, now, I shouldn't say this as a cat, but even some of the um, like the guys who wouldn't be saints, there are just numerous resources. You don't have to go to an Eastern tradition to get it. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So what, what did, do you feel like that so here's my thing. I, I It's been on my goals to do for the last two months, and I haven't done it. Part of it is I feel like I feel kind of bad taking a day away from my family and leaving my wife with the kids. And here, I, dad's going to go away and do his day of solitude. They probably think I'm going out to fish or hunters. <laughs> but legitimately, it's a day of prayer. It's a day of fasting. It's a day of, of just giving that day and that time and that thought to the Lord. Uh, but I haven't done it because I felt almost guilty about it. Would you, would you say to myself and anyone listening, like, that's a silly thought. Like there's so much, I would assume there's so much more that I would get from it. I'd say that's a spiritual warfare one-on-one. Yeah. Like the devil loves to take something that's good and use it against you. You are a father. You should spend all your time with your family, um, at the, like in your vocation of marriage, right? 
God should always be first. Maybe that's controversial, but no, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's like if yeah. if if that's not in your marriage, it's got to be triangular with you know the base, your wife and you, and then pointing towards God. Yeah. And if it's not there, like <laughs> it'll just go back and forth, and it nothing good happens. But um, yeah, you have to make time for God, and as men, we need that retreat. I. I, I, that is like spiritual warfare 101. I could pull out some books on that and be like, yeah, that's the devil trying to get you to think that you don't need to take that time away because totally when you go and do it, you come back changed. I mean, and recharged, revitalized. We are in constant need of revitalization mm-hmm. in our spiritual life. We Christianity, at least in my view and in the church's view, the Catholic church's view, it's not a one-off, you baptize, you're done. It's not all over when you say amen. It's a constant thing. You are falling down and getting back up and falling down and getting back up. And uh, if you don't go and take those days away, um, whether they just be a Sunday, an hour, a lot of one thing you can do is a media fast. I, I say, I think every family should take a day away from technology mm. as a family every week. Um, yeah, this book, this book recommends that. I mean, he does it on the Sabbath and he recommends it strongly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think I know your answer, but what you're going to say is, I think you would agree with this at least that I'm better off having 29 days with my family and one day totally away yep. than 30 days. You'll be a better father for it. On the other 29. It's kind of like tithing, right? Give the first fruits. Yep. Got to bless the rest. I'd rather have 90% than 100% of, I'd rather have 90% blessed than 100% unblessed, right? Well, and so. Abraham had to take his son, like he had to be willing to give everything away. Um, I, you know, and the, there's countless moments. Uh, all the apostles had to leave their families to do ministry and like, the, the reward will be great. I guarantee you. Maybe yeah, Jesus said, come follow me. Like he, they, they had to like lay down their nets and go. Yeah. And they, yeah. they had, it's not like they were just like themselves alone, yeah. you know, fishing. They had people, responsibilities, you know, maybe a mother-in-law that was very demanding. Have you seen The Chosen? I have. Yeah. yeah it's a great uh, visualization of what they really had to go through. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of like the postmodern uh, theater. We can really get that like strong visualization, um, you know. And but it is amazing once you start unplugging from that kind of stuff how the Lord uses your imagination. I mean, He designed us with this. He created yeah. us with yeah. all of this in mind, and not to bash on media or the chosen or anything. But no, I don't hear that. Um, it is just beautiful when you unplug how much the Lord can take over your spiritual life. And I mean, tear down walls, walls that you didn't even know to get into a seminary as a Catholic priest, you have to go through a 50 page application, a 10 hour psychological test, and they have a relationship with you, your vocations director. Uh, that's sort of like the recruiter. He knows you well before you go in two, three in some cases, all of your lifetime years. Uh, so you would think they're like, oh, we know these guys for sure. But I went in and was like, I had wanted to be a priest all my life. Ever since I was five, I had had a powerful prayer experience before Mary in the garden. My, you know, just, uh, have you ever read Martin Buber, I Thou? It's a great book. It's a philosophy book. It's actually by a uh, Jewish philosopher, but it talks about the encounter between God and mankind and just how it's a fiery experience. And I love it as, uh, in the German, it's ich, ich, dich, and uh, translates as I, thou. But it was one of those experiences, and it just, ever since then, it actually freaked me out as a five-year-old when I, I saw this guy with... Uh, priestly vestments and fire and everything. I ran crying, screaming to my parents, and they're like, oh, my gosh, what kind of psycho kid do we have? And <laughs> then I, they're like, well, we'll take him to the priest because that's what you do. And the priest was <laughs> like, sounds like God has something very special for you and sort of left it at that. Um, and ever since then, it just has always attracted me. It still does. Um, 
But man, discerning between the priesthood and a family is tough at times. It's like yeah. loving the few as versus loving the many. It is, uh, it is so so difficult. Um, so please, if you are listening, pray for my discernment. I would appreciate that. So on that, do you think? Um, and I, this has not, if you don't want to answer this, just say it's fine. But do you think that the Catholic Church will ever change their stance on uh, marriage and priesthood? You know, I. I don't know <laughs> the classic answer. I don't know. Um, it but there is there has been some talk recently, right? There has been talk about it. The you know I always say celibacy when it is given as a gift and not something that's like a labor is beautiful. I've seen some priests who live their celibacy in such a beautiful way. You know, we certainly don't want to tra- change trends for like. We need more numbers. That's not what we're about. If we have to shrink down to a church of five, we'll do that. Um, and I think the Christian church as a whole should be ready to do that. I, I was actually thinking uh, earlier today, are, have you guys talked about like the time of Christendom being over in in like the broader church, in the Protestant church? Don't explain that to me. I, I don't, I'm not sure what you're saying. So like Christendom is the idea that we live in a Christian kingdom and that like the laws, the state, everything, like our culture, our moral values is Christ-centered. Um, and right now, what a lot of the bishops are talking about is that we, the time of Christendom is over, and we are now sort of back to or in a new phase of missionary Christianity, where we're no longer the, I guess, the state or the, you know, that that kingdom, as you would say, the kingdom of God is at hand, that yeah. is certainly with that, no doubt about that. But in terms of more of the cultural side of things, we can't assume that when you go out and start talking, people know what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I don't know that I've heard the conversation around Christian, Christ, easy for me to say. Christendom. Christendom. I can't speak. <laughs> that old English, yes, the doubt. Uh, maybe that's why I don't talk about it. <laughs> uh, but, but we do talk about the topic. Um, Interesting. Uh, quite a bit, and I've talked about it on this podcast quite a bit, and and I do feel like that we're living in a society that is less and less governed around Christian values, you know. But I, that doesn't scare me, and I actually think it it's um, it's when the gospel advanced the most. Absolutely. And and we're finally getting to a point. Not finally. It's not like I've been waiting. <laughs> But we're getting to the point where if you're going to be a believer, you have to make a decision to be. You can't just go along with mm-hmm. the flow. No. Nope. And so I think that's gonna it's gonna get some people off the fence, and maybe hopefully the right side of the fence. But I think many people will will choose the wrong, and the people that do choose the right side, I think, um, will be on fire and yep. will will be on mission. You know, it's it's like. Um, I read a quote recently or an, an article, and it was just about Jesus didn't call us to believe in him. He called mm-hmm. us to follow him. Yeah. And, and what we've done in the current Christian environment is, is we've more or less asked people to, to believe in Jesus, but we forgot that there's a process of following him. And that's kind of what you were saying, I think before where you were like uh, the, the walk, the walk of faith is a constant. Um, I, I can't remember exactly how you said it. Got to get back up. Yeah. You got to get back up. You got to keep working. It's not just like you say, amen and it's done. Yep. Uh, and I think that's what following somebody means. Like there's a process you follow, you know, there's going to be times that it's rocky and there's going to be times it's smooth, but we follow him. And I think we've forgotten that some in our faith and, uh, it's getting to the point when it, when it's, when it's easy to follow him, you can go through the motions. And I think that's what this last Christianism has (laughs) I can't say it. You killed it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I you it? were like that. I don't close. know why I can't say it, but I think that that last period has allowed a lot of people to cruise. Lethargic, and, yeah. You know, lethargic. and now it's going to create a situation where we're going to have true followers, and I think that's where we'll see revival. Totally. I mean, that's what we're talking about over uh, with the. I mean, the bishops literally get they have meetings. This is coming down from the Pope. Uh, so it's it's really cool how that stuff gets disseminated, and then I, it gives me a lot of hope too when. Um, you talk to Protestant brothers or other church brothers and it's just like, or ancestors too. That's, that's what they're thinking too, because I'm like, well, then that's not just a, uh, 
a coincidence or that that's a prompting from the Holy Spirit. But there's also another side that there's a, there's a large sect that's holding on tight to that reign and they want everything to be legislated. And I'm not saying that's bad uh, to have legislation around our morality, but uh, I, I just don't see it as God's design for his kingdom. Uh, they're, they're two separate things. And we um, have that too. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah, of course we do. Yeah. And so uh, we all do, but um, yeah, I uh, I was thinking I I will come back to the uh, cel- uh, the celibacy question. I didn't sidestep that. Yeah, I oh. was uh, I was just uh, you'll find out. I'm very much squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. No way, man. You're great. Um, but I was you know I love football for that very reason because I think it's an imitation of the spiritual life. Like you're going to fall down and you're going to get up and you're going to start to play over again. And guess what? It's reset. Everything's reset. You might be fourth and 19, but like you get another shot at it. That's right. And then even then the defense comes out onto the field and they get a shot at it. And even when you're down like 20 points, you know, we've 24 points. If you have a hall of fame person to follow or something like that, you can come back from it. And uh, I think in terms of teaching kids, like the spiritual life and how you learn more from failure than you do success. And so I'm like, you know, our football team wasn't so great, but it was better for their spiritual life. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Now, sports is great for that, right? Amen. I mean, it just, and, and that's where uh, I just encourage people to get into the word of God more and more because what's happening in, in culture and society right now, and we will get to the story of your, uh, of your poverty immersion. We may, that may be part two, which would be great because we have enough to talk about here. So we'll, we'll do it two parts. Um, that's how I get people to listen more. Awesome. I, I, I tease them. No, that wasn't the idea. Um, but um, that's why I think it's so important to read the Word of God, and especially the, the Old Testament, because you see over and over again where Israel was like, was like being um, in, I want to say custody, that's not the word, but... Um, Providence? Uh, no, they're, they're being ruled by other societies, uh, like Babylonians yep, yep. and the the um I, I was just reading judges and it's like like the book of judges is all about like a, a judge is appointed they fall back into yeah. idol worship and then they're reigned by another country and then it's a, they they come out of it and they fall it's like over and over again god raises this judge which is more or less a warrior to bring israel out of the the clutches of of another country and then it always goes back with this idol worship thing but that's not my point in that isn't <laughs> my my point is when you read the word of God and then you see culture shifting, mm-hmm. you don't like panic in the sense of like, Oh my gosh, God's lost control. No. You're like, well, this has happened about a bazillion other times in history. Oh, yeah. And this is just God resetting and, and he's going to move through this. So it's like, you know, who wins in the end. So there's Amen. not a lot of worry in between. It's just like, what am I supposed to be doing in this moment to be faithful? Exactly. Right? It's like, what, what, <laughs> That's literally what I was going to say at the end. You know, you gave me that that sort of that question to mull over, and I was like, yeah, that's what it's all about. We have to, um, what are we here for? And that's to glorify God, Mm -hmm. proclaim the kingdom, and just grow in that relationship. And uh, you want to talk about the poverty immersion of all the things I came away is like, I can't fix everything. I can't fix practically anything. Heck, I can't fix myself. And I think a lot of people that would freak them out, that realization, like I cannot fix myself. I am broken, beautifully broken, but I am broken and that's okay. And what's my relationship with the Lord and how are we going about that? So I could talk about that, but we'll say that. that, What does that mean to you? Beautifully broken. I heard you say that the other day. Yeah. I meant to ask you then. So I'll ask you now. Beautifully broken. Um, Sounds cool, but I don't don't quite get it. What does it mean? I get it, yeah. Uh, We are all sinners. This was not meant to be. We weren't all meant to be out of uh, relationship with God. Anytime, really, uh, and this is where I get a kick out of when people, especially with kids around, around football or youth ministry, it's this sin and that sin. I'm like, this is all us breaking relationship. Like, that's not... You're focusing on the details rather than the bigger picture. And that's another spiritual warfare. Like, get bogged down in the details. Forget the bigger picture. He loves that. Um, But uh, we are beautifully broken because despite this, Christ has come and saved us. 
we are redeemed through Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's more, in my opinion, more beautiful than just, uh, I mean, think about it. There's something beautiful to someone who painstakingly takes a fractured mirror and puts it back together into a beautiful mosaic or slots it. I mean, teeny space dust. Mm -hmm. We are teeny space dust in this big world of space dust. And like, yet the Lord is like sewing our heart back together. How tender, how, what a relationship. I mean, uh, you can see it anytime you have the vulnerable, the weak, those who don't have uh, dignity or, or their dignity is being taken away. There's a brokenness there, but it's in that brokenness that we encounter Christ. And yeah, not in perfection. We are not called to be perfect. I mean, maybe we were supposed to be perfect at the beginning, but like Christ doesn't want you to try to, you know, clean the dust off your shoulders and come before him in absolute perfection. He knows you more than anyone. So just come before him as who you are. That's beautiful. That's who he created you as. Yeah, that's one of the the hardest thing for non-believers that I talk to at times to uh, get their heads around. Maybe that's the wrong phrase. They have a hard time with the thought that they are innately bad. Yeah. They were not born good because we're born of Adam. We're born of sin. Yep. And so... Um, and they, they feel like that the human race is good and just be who you are. And that's where many of their cultural issues come from today is because we can't, we can't understand that there's sin and there's a way of doing it. And God's way is the, the right way and the wise way. But that first step is realizing that you, you have at the core, you have a problem and it's sin yeah. and, and you, you have to address and how are you going to address that? And the sooner that people realize that they have that issue, number one, and number two, that they have no way of addressing it themselves. <laughs> yeah. But thank uh, God for the blood of Christ that he addresses it for us. But it's always that first step. I, I have more, um, I wouldn't say arguments, but conversations about um, people not being able to accept the fact that they were born into sin. Mm. Um, That's interesting. I could see the like the innately bad being troubling. And the Catholic Church, uh, we do teach... You are innately good, but we have fallen into sin, um, and that's bad, obviously. And, like, you know, something a lot of people say, uh, we, we live in a society right now of ors. It's either or. You can be good and beautiful and perfectly made in your imperfection, uh, in your brokenness. Why do we have to look at, I mean— it's not like we're, <laughs> uh, the the image they always used in seminary, it's not like, you know, your dog went out, did his business, and the snow covered it, and now it's beautiful. No, like, that's that's a real stark difference of good and bad. Like, there's something a lot more detailed going on in our sin and our free will and our ability to, like, there is beauty in our choice of being able to choose God or not choose mm-hmm. God. Like, that is love. The, the, the fact that the Father gave us the choice to choose him is, I mean, that's, that's as loving as you can get. Uh, and there's beauty in that. Um, but there's also the downside, the bad, the fall, the, the ugliness of sin, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I want to touch on one more thing before we, we close out this, this part one. is um, You mentioned when you read the word of God during that spiritual process, the spiritual year, yep. um, you said that part of it was to, uh, you were to envision yourself in the story. Yeah. Yeah. So do you still do that as you read. Totally. Um, obviously now that I'm working and doing ministry, I don't get to do a holy hour every day and that's not what everyone's called to different states of life. Um, you know, a lot of times guys leave the seminary and they try to pray like a priest. That's not, you know, you're not a priest. Maybe you're a father now. You have other things you have to do. You have to provide for your family. Your prayer is your work. Uh, 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 why now Father John would give me a bunch of crap for this. I'm forgetting my Latin. Uh, ora et laboris. 
prayer and work like that you can you can glorify god through your everyday actions you can pray in your everyday action um you might not sit down before a tabernacle or before god in the chapel and uh be able to do a meditation every morning or take a 30-day month-long silent retreat Mm -hmm. although man if you can do even a three-day one day three-day super powerful would recommend um so I do still do it, yeah. Um, a lot of times when I'm praying right now, uh, I find myself asking God. I'm asking for answers, and I don't give him as much time to speak back to me. So that's uh, something I got to do to improve. Um, a lot of times when I'm listening to the gospel in the Catholic liturgy, we have a, a first reading, a second reading, and then the gospel. So the first reading is typically Old Testament. Second reading is New Testament. And then gospel, gospel, one of the four books. Um, and during that, I'm trying to insert myself and watch that. So I close my eyes. I, I serve up on the altar. And I don't know, maybe people are like, is he falling asleep up there? What's DK doing? And I'm like, no, I'm trying to visualize myself. Um, you know, these gospels, especially in the Old Testament, they were spoken first. They were not written. These yeah. stories were spoken to us. So the the idea of listening and not reading, listening is powerful because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like yeah. <laughs> we're supposed to uh, sometimes just lay it all down and think about it and uh, visualize it in the brain. But I certainly do that. Um, and I do want to circle back before I forget or you forget. Celibacy in the priesthood, <laughs> long-term Probably not. Not with Pope Francis. Uh, we have the diaconate for that, which the diaconate is work-focused and like admin. In the early church, deacons were originally, they did all the the business, the accounting side of that. That way, the priest in more of the Old Testament tradition could be focused on the prayer, the sacraments, the ministry, the relationship. Um, you know, I the job of a priest at the end of the day if you have done anything other than bring that person closer to Christ, you failed. Like if you have not brought the person closer to Christ at the end of your ministry, you failed. Like, I don't care if you're their best friend. I don't care if uh, that person is like this priest has done so many great works in the Valley or whatever. If they have not brought people closer to Christ, that's their only job. Don't you think that's all our jobs? Yes, yes. Um, but that's low-key. Low uh, you know, you don't want to throw that on everyone because well, I, think I think it that's freaks them out. What we do in Ordinary Men is we, we encourage mm-hmm. men to do that, and women, ordinary women as well. Yeah, we, w- we want people to live a life that brings others closer to Christ. And one of the ways that we believe that happens, and that's why I asked that question about when you read the Word, if you, if you kind of implant yourself into it, because uh, one of the ways we do that is we, we encourage them to be intimate with Jesus, number one. And, and what I believe is from Acts 4.13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I just believe wholeheartedly, based on the scripture and based on my life and what I've seen in other people's lives, is when you spend time with Jesus, uh, you will bring people closer to him because they will take notice. And that's, I would just say, uh, first off on the reading, I'd never really thought about it until you mentioned it just now, but I'm going to even do it more. But putting yourself into that story, putting yourself, because I was reading Judges, uh, what was it six or seven today? I think it was. I may be way off. But the story of Gideon. And mm-hmm. um, I think it was six, seven, eight. Chapter six, seven, and eight. Um, right. And, you know, when I was reading it, Gideon is hiding from, is it the Amorites, I think, or something? It's, it's a, typically those Amorites. Yeah, it's They're the, the bad guys. It's one of the ites. Yeah. He's hiding and he's, he's, He's uh, threshing grain in the wine press. So he's clearly being a coward, Mm -hmm. right? And then the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, uh, mighty warrior, calls him mighty warrior, which is really fascinating that this guy's hiding and he gets called mighty warrior. But, but I initially read that and was like, man, what a coward. Like he's, he's in a wine press. But then I thought, what would I have done then? Like these, 
I think it's the Amorites. If I'm wrong, I mean, whatever. It's it's one of the ites. Uh, so, somebody occupying the, the Jewish nation and the Israelites. And and they would come in and literally, like, destroy all their crops, let their mm-hmm. let their camels and everything graze them and take everything. They, had. Like, they would literally pillage uh, the, yep. the Israelites. So he was, like, trying to, like, thresh grain so he could have food for his family. And I thought, what would I have done? <laughs> I would have been hiding in wine press too. So then it allows you when I when I put myself into that story. I didn't realize I did it until you were talking today. Um, but when I put myself in that story, it allowed me to have a different understanding. I was like, no, he probably wasn't a coward. Um, he's probably doing what I would have done. Yeah. I don't consider myself a coward. And so then you like go through the story, and then it's like, and then God says, um, you know, let them drink water, and the ones that lap with their hands keep, and the ones the other ones. And then he's left at the end with like three hundred men. Yeah, like three hundred men to fight. I don't remember how many that was. Like fifty, hundred thousand. I don't know. It was a lot uh, of the the ites, <laughs> and, and and he wins with them. But the, you put yourself in that story, and you're like, oh my gosh, what would I have done? Would I have been faithful to tell all those th- ten thousand men to leave, and I was only left with three hundred? Would I? Like what, and then you start really, um, you have a great deal of respect for these men and women in the Bible. And you realize that, like in that story, I realize that like God is going to ask you to do things so that only he receives the glory and, and in a way that's really going to challenge your faith. And by putting myself into that, that story, I feel like that it better prepares me for it when he does that in my life. And so anyhow, I just thought that was, when you said that, it kind of just resonated with me. Like, yeah, that's really a great way to read the word. No doubt. I mean, so in that spirituality year, you're um, you're supposed you're supposed to, uh, although admittedly I didn't do the best job of it. Uh, you're supposed to read the whole Bible in a year. Uh, that's the recommendation, and uh, you know they space it out, and you have a class on the Bible that goes through the from the beginning to the end, um, and they part of before they do that, they they give you techniques of how to read the Bible, how, how do you process it, like how do you, uh, do you visualize it, do you do, there's another tradition called Lexio Divina, and it's like you read, you, you're looking for a word that's going to pop out at, at you, maybe it's, um, you know, maybe it's numb, that's, why, why is that popping, why does God want me to think about numb, maybe it's like the actual word itself that we're supposed to take away in that experience, and Okay, am I being am I numb in my relationship to others? Am I numb in my relationship to myself and my respect for myself? I mean, there's so many. Or am I numbing myself through distractions? Um, and that's and so then you pray and meditate on that, uh, you know. And that's that's it. Uh, you could do that more Ignatian technique where you're. I mean, I've had a spiritual director be like, try pl- placing yourself way out of the scene, like you're part of the 5,000 watching Jesus preach. What do you, what do you think? What about you're intimately next to him? You're John on his breast or you are a tree, like just also yeah. <laughs> all sorts of crazy uh, spots. Um, or you are the soldier nailing him to the cross. That's been mm-hmm. some of my most powerful meditations in Ignatian spirituality. Uh, and what scandalized me the most that it, it saved my faith. To be honest, in high school, I was, um, I was, I brought what I called a briefcase of lawsuits to God, hmm. and I was like, it was sort of like Job. I wanted to put him on trial every day. Uh, I wasn't the faithful servant, clearly, and uh, I just had all these complaints and things I didn't like, and grievances about what he had done to me and my life and everything, and uh, I would bring this le- and. I got introduced by the Jesuits at my high school to, and that's their whole spirituality is Ignatian. And that's where you get that meditative. And I was like, coming from a Catholic background where it was like rosary, Hail Mary, our father, you repetitive, which is beautiful too. Nothing against that, but it's just not where I was at in my life. I needed something that was powerful that could use my imagination. Uh, The Holy spirit prompts you. And wow. I mean, uh, and in seminary, what I found is uh, I was the guy yelling out to crucify Christ, and that just never struck me as a lifelong Catholic that I'd be the guy 
who could get mad and want to crucify, even knowing that he was the son of God. Like, yeah, you, why did you create the world this way? I'm mad at you right now, Lord. I will be the one to yell out, crucify him, crucify him. So when we read the Passion uh, on Good Friday, that part just hits me straight to the heart. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's me. Um, That's me nailing him and, you know, saying you should be up there. And what a gross, uh, just a, uh, talk about the greatest rejection of all time beats any time I got rejected by a girl. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me in that same story of Barnabas. Yep. Like m- many of us are like, Oh man, how could Barnabas go? Like he was the actual murderer. Like, like he was the wrongdoer. And then Jesus gets crucified. And then, and then in the story you realize, uh, you are Barnabas. Yeah. We are Barnabas. <laughs> we were the ones let go. Yep. We were the ones forgiven while he take the punishment. And so all oh, that's really, that's really good stuff. Well, let's transition into into the second part. Before we close this out, though, I'll just let you guys know that. So the second part is going to be about your poverty immersion. So um, you were given $5, a bus ticket to and from Kansas City, from Denver. You were homeless for 30 days in Kansas City in January. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so this poverty immersion was uh, was a time where you had to um, experience poverty in a way that not many of us never have and hopefully never will. And, and you learned a lot in that journey, I'm assuming. I'm going to argue that we experience poverty like that in our world all the time. Uh, it might not be that type of poverty, as you said. I Like up in Vail, I'm like, yeah, we're poor up in Vail. We got a spiritual poverty up we do. here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but sorry, I, I'm not to jump down. I'm like, we are poor in so many, in some ways, worse ways than yeah. that type of poverty. But yeah, so they give you. Um, well, let's not get into it now. We'll st- we'll do that in the second part. But part we're going to get all into it, right? So we're, you're going to tell us exactly how it went down. Uh, I'll ask you a bunch of questions. Sure. And I think it'll be fascinating. And then what you took from that experience. So this will be the end of part one. I think it was a, a great podcast. A DK full of knowledge and wisdom for a 26 year old guy. Come on. <laughs> uh, no, for sure. I, I love um, some of the, um, uh, I don't even know how to say it. Some of the things the Catholic church does like these, these solitude and, and, and this, this year spirituality and, and, and the prayers. And I think there's a lot we can learn from it. I think it's really impressive. And so, um, it's really cool that, that you're in my life. Maybe you can continue to teach me some of this stuff. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, well, let's, uh, let's close here. I just want to thank you guys for listening. Definitely tune into part two of this podcast when we talk about um, DK being homeless with $5 for 30 days in January. Blast. In Kansas City. By the way, it's cold in Kansas City in January. I'm also a Broncos fan, so we can talk about that a little bit. Oh, that's tough. A Broncos fan in Kansas City country. I know. I think that's probably the least of your concerns (laughs) at that point, though. But uh, until then, thank you guys so much for being uh, a listener on the podcast. Again, uh, like, subscribe, share, do all that good stuff so that we can get the word of God out. And uh, until next time, let's do this. Mm